Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. You see someone skilled in their work, they will stand before rulers and kings, not before obscure people. This should be named amongst all of us as Christians, especially in places like the workplace. Our work ethic, our character, our integrity should so stand out above and beyond anyone else because it's such a witness and a testimony to our Christian faith and profession of faith. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Esther. As followers and disciples of Christ, we are called to be witnesses to the rest of the world. Unfortunately, many of us tend to treat witnessing as if there should be a separate time and place for it. In today's message, Pastor J.D. teaches us how witnessing is a constant in our work ethic, family, and social lives each and every day. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Esther, chapter 2, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Can you imagine these beautiful women that were taken and how conceited they must have been? You know how it is that... Again, I don't want to get in trouble with the women. Men can do this too. They think they're all that. (laughs) And they become heady. And they become arrogant and cocky and proud. And here comes Esther, probably more beautiful than any of them. I would even venture to say more beautiful than all of them put together. And they take notice. And that's what happens when we possess this inward godliness, this inward beauty. It stands out. It stands out because it's so rare and it's so unique. And she finds such favor in the custodian's sight that he provides her with exceptional and additional treatment. This verse 8, to me, is a much-needed reminder of the paramount importance of having an inward godliness and a godly character in the sight of man. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. There's another proverb. I don't recall exactly where it's at, but it basically says this. You see someone skilled in their work, they will stand before rulers and kings, not before obscure people. This should be named amongst all of us as Christians, especially in places like the workplace. Our work ethic, our character, our integrity should so stand out above and beyond anyone else because it's such a witness and a testimony to our 
Christian faith and profession of faith. Verse 10, Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Interesting. Now, you might almost come away with the impression that what Mordecai is having Esther do is in some way dishonest. This is not dishonesty. This is wisdom. And this is prudence. And this is, again, God's providence. Uh, she'll reveal <laughs> who she is, who her people are, but not yet. It's not time. The timing isn't right. God is going to present the perfect opportunity at the perfect time, and it will be for such a time as this. You'll, again, forgive me if I overuse that phrase. I love that phrase. In fact, uh, speaking of the 14th year anniversary of moving here, when I say it was a step of faith, I don't say that cavalierly. I don't, I don't say that lightly. It was really, it was probably one of the uh, scariest <laughs> steps of faith I had ever made in my life when we uh, moved here and basically started all over. And um, I remember uh, telling this uh, brother uh, who was asking me about it, you know, what are you going to do about, what, are you gonna, what about this and what about that? And I'm like, I know, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? And, oh, Spokane, Washington is one of the most economical places in the United States to live. And you're moving to Hawaii, the most expensive place in the United States of America to live. What are you going to do for this and for that? I don't know. What am I going to do? And fear started setting in, anxiety. And, and finally, I just, I blurted out, quoting Esther, and I said, if I perish, I perish. <laughs> if, I, if I don't make it, I don't make it. If I die, I die. I, I think about what Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That, that, he didn't ask me any more questions after that, for which I was very grateful. So the timing will come, and this is prudent. And I believe that God put this on Mordecai's heart, that she should not reveal who she was. Had she revealed who she was at this time, game over. <laughs> game over. That, that's, that's the end. Esther would be two chapters. That would be it. That, we, we would go on to the book of Job, which is the next book that we're going to go through. That's it. It's game over. Well, verse 11, And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. You have to understand that uh, Esther is in a very dangerous position, potentially. Now, that's not to say that Mordecai was not a man of God, a man of faith, uh, that he didn't trust God, but he was deeply concerned for Esther's well-being, and he knows of the potential uh, for her to be in a dangerous situation. What if, what if, I don't like those two words, what if, what if. You know those two words can keep you up at night. <laughs> 
they can keep you pacing back and forth during the day. That's not necessarily what Mordecai is doing here. He's not pacing back and forth full of fear and anxiety and worry. But um, what if someone finds out that she's a Jew? She's dead. That's it. So she's in a very dangerous position. But what he's doing here is he wants to keep himself apprised of how she's doing. And the fact that he's doing this so close in proximity to where the women's quarter is, is going to really come into play and be of tremendous value yet future. And actually we'll see uh, this as well tonight at the end of the chapter. So here again we see the hand of God working providentially in and through Mordechai as he orchestrates and choreographs each step. Again, everything is going perfectly according to plan. Yes, she's been taken. Yes, she's in good hands. Oh, yes, she's getting extra special treatment. Oh, yes, God's going to take care of her. You think God's going to let anything happen to her? I'm sure Mordecai is praying, God, protect her. I can just imagine God's response. (laughs) Mordecai, I'm on it. (laughs) Don't worry. Boy, am am I going to take care of her. I'm in this, and everything about this has my handprint on it. Verse 12, each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation. That's a lot of preparation. According to the regulations for the women, for thus were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. I don't, again, want to get into uh, too much detail here, but you have to understand that in those days and in that climate, that, you know, there was a a lot of perspiration. And so they had, and they were famous for it, actually. They had these uh, very fragrant perfumes uh, that they would uh, use uh, that you might maybe liken unto the uh, deodorants that we have, uh, you know, today. But uh, they were preparing them and beautifying them for a period of 12 months. Why 12 months? Well, here's again where the historians help us out. It is believed that they would uh, have this 12-month preparation time to discern whether or not any of these women were actually pregnant prior. Because if they were pregnant prior, that means they weren't virgins. And this would be unthinkable, because then the king would have uh, a son or a daughter that had not been fathered by him. I want to take it a step further and suggest as another possibility. I think that the custodians would get to know these women over that period of 12 months. Because you got to know that the king is going to query them about, um, okay, so you've had a year with them. Which one stood out to you? Oh, there's this one. She by far is so much more beautiful on the inside and out than these other women were. 
And it gives, you know, in, in uh, ministry, whenever somebody comes to the church and they're new to the church and they say, well, we're just kind of visiting, we uh, want to come back. And and I always, you know, let them know, well, why don't you get to know us, sit under the teaching of God's Word, and uh, let us get to know you. Uh, and I usually like at least six months for someone to be able to get to know us. And then if God's calling you here, then praise the Lord. If not, then uh, maybe he's calling you to another church. But there is this season of time that is so important to really get to know people. And because, you know, things come out. Can I take this even further and talk about in the courtship uh, before marriage? It is so important to have uh, that time. Now I realize there's cases you hear about people who have been married for 50 years. They knew each other for two weeks and then they got married. That's the exception. That's the exception. But uh, it is so important because they, they um, uh, talk about the uh, the infatuation period when you first meet and you're just, ah, that that person can do no wrong. Oh my goodness. And, you know, isn't it interesting? You know, I, I remember my wife, my wife and I courted for two years, been married for 29. And, uh, uh, when you first started courting, I would open the door for her. And, uh, you know, I was just, oh, it's such a romantic and, oh, I mean, just drippy, you know, the way you would talk and the way she would talk to me and, oh. So we get married after two years, you know, about three, four years into the marriage. I'm like, instead of opening the door for her, I'm like, hurry up, get in, we're late. You know, things change after a while. So anyway, we better move on. Verse 13, (laughs) thus prepared each young woman, went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the woman's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shazgaz. I just probably butchered the pronunciation there. The king's eunuch who kept the concubines. She would not go into the king again, listen, unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. That's where and why we know that there was the potential for these women never to see him again for the rest of their lives. They would grow old, a very lonely, and probably a very bitter woman. Now, verse 15, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordechai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, oh, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. Interesting. These other women, it's almost indicated in the narrative that they could take anything they want. Picture the scene. You're about to go in the king. You can take anything you want. And they're like, really? And they just start taking all this stuff. And then here comes Esther's turn. And she says, you know, what do you think I should take? Should I take anything? Oh, my goodness. Look at the contrast. And she only takes, and we're talking 
jewels, <laughs> clothing, extravagance, luxury, anything you want, the, the nicest and richest and most fragrant of perfumes, take anything you want. Hey guy, what should I take? What should I take? I'm only going to take what you think I should take. I can just picture, I'm, I'm, I know I'm stretching it a little bit here, but I can just picture a conversation between the king and Haggai king. It was the, the craziest thing. Every single one of those women took all this stuff and they're shoving it in their, you know, pockets. And then when it was Esther's turn, she just humbly came up to me and asked me, what should I take? Should I take anything? Oh my. Which one was she? Oh, number 423. That's the one you want to <laughs> really take a close look at. Here's where I'm going with this. It's actually Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. I like how one translation renders it. Beauty is fleeting. Oh my goodness, no truer words were spoken. You know, as you get older, you just look in that mirror. I was telling my oldest son, Elias, who's so handsome. Of course, Levi is really handsome too. But Elias looks more like me. Levi looks more like his mom. Thank God for that gene pool. Uh, but here's my uh, firstborn son. And um, I was uh, uh, looking at him. I was going, wow, you, you are so handsome. You're better looking than I, I was when I was your age. And he just looks at me and he goes, of course I was. Anyway, so I <laughs> said, wow, thanks a lot for the compliment. But um, so then my wife chimes in and says, when uh, your dad was uh, your your age, he was a really good looking guy. I'm like, aww. <laughs> but I didn't realize what she was really saying was, this was past tense. <laughs> this was past him. Long time ago in a land far, far away, that handsomeness has fled away. It is passing. And everything, I was looking at myself in the mirror the other day, everything's just starting to... Anyway, let's move on. So, <laughs> charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing, but... A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. No wonder they took a liking to her. No wonder she found favor in their sight. This was a woman who feared the Lord. And her beauty, oh, that's just bonus. That's just on, on top of it. And I would submit that her fear of the Lord, her, her godly character, her inward beauty made her outward beauty even more beautiful, if you can imagine. Her inward character made her outward beauty just absolutely stunning. Stunning. Verse 16. So... Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Some of you fans of typology, that, that's an interesting detail, isn't it? Yes, it is. 
Verse 17, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Are we surprised? Are we surprised? I wonder if she was surprised. I wonder when Mordecai hears of this, if he's going to be surprised. I wonder if Mordecai, and maybe Esther with him, thought to themselves, um, God's up to something. God's doing something. I know the hand of God is on my life, and God allowed me to be taken in spite of Mordecai trying to hide me. So I just wonder if maybe they weren't so surprised that they realized, instead of being surprised, that, hey, God's in this. God's in this. You know, when we read God's Word in places like this, we have the tendency to only see what happened. And I think we do err greatly because it comes at the expense of who it happened to. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Think about this. She might be a teenager. She might be in her late teens, 18, 19, 20. In that culture, in that day, uh, in your 20s, you were over the hill. She's a young woman. You know, the disciples went, well, think about Mary. She was believed to be a teenager when the angel appeared to her and told her that she was with child and would give birth, virgin birth, to the Savior of the world. How about when Jesus called the disciples? Never imagine in your mind that they were in their 30s or even in their 20s. They were teens. They were young people. She's a young girl. And she was born into captivity. This is all she's known. She's heard of Jerusalem, but captivity's all she's known. We don't know how her parents died. We just know that her parents died. How did they die? How young was she when they died? Was she there when they died? Did she witness that? Or did she never know who her mother and her father was. That in and of itself. Think about that. And she's a slave in captivity, a young girl, has no parents, and now she's queen? She's exalted to being the queen? The bravery and trust displayed by Esther throughout her life is encouraging to us, especially as we face trials in our modern world. She clung to her faith in God despite worldly influences, and when she needed Him most, God showed up in incredible ways. There's much more to learn from Esther's story, but sadly, that's where we need to end for today, here on In Spirit and Truth. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor J.D. Farag's message. We'd like to let you know how you can hear more of his messages. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of teachings. You'll find a link on our website to our mobile app, too. That way, you'll be able to take God's Word with you wherever you go. 
filling the gaps in your day with truth and blessings. This app is free and provides you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and updated editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a look at current events around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new every weekend and will help you put world events into perspective. The Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Come find us on Facebook as well and keep up to date on everything that's happening at In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor J.D. will continue teaching through the book of Esther next time on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old wind Holding me true